Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Alright, we're rolling. Welcome. Wait, hold on, how does it go? SKPM presents Catholic Stuff You Should Know. That's right. A... A, a variety show of the Roman Catholic Church. That was exceptionally boring. Well done. Do you know the? Do you know the reference? I don't. Well, so I drive around a lot. Ah. Uh, and uh, public radio. No, it's the uh, liturgy of the hours. Ah, liturgy of the hours okay. on the podcast. Okay. So shout out to SQPN Radio Network. These folks who do the podcast for the liturgy of the hours. So when I'm driving, like. On my way here tonight, I can do evening prayer. You can do any of them, but it is pretty boring. And pretty slow. Yeah. Well, welcome to the podcast, uh, Father John, Father Mike here. And uh, you went for the passion fruit LaCroix, I see, this evening. Feeling yeah, kinda... you know, I don't, there's one that's like a lime, lime cola or something. I don't like cream of blank you know dot 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 just in in general cream of cream lemon cream pie um (laughs) lime key lime cream um well we know you don't like sweets orange cream ice creams and stuff the uh there's a peach pear flavor that i find horrible have you had that one peach pear no No, no, stay away from peach. and they're la croix and the la croix that's right so i was thinking the other day because i like um i'm into these sparkling waters and uh I was wondering, like, who's the, would I like the job, who's got the job of naming the off-brand stuff, uh. right? So you got La Croix, and I don't know if they're actually, are they like French-Canadian? Anyway, they're they're pretending to be. So, yeah, it says it's uh, California. Ah, uh, right? yes, okay. So um, I shop at uh, Safeway. And they have a, an off-brand called Soleil. Soleil. Like the sunshine. Okay. And it's obviously trying to play on the La Croix, La don't Croix. you think? You got to have like a European name. Yeah, the name. kind of French thing. Now, here's, I respect this. Kirkland, dude. <laughs> Kirkland, Costco. Their name, Kirkland. Sparkling Water. Sparkling Water. That's, that's right. That's it. The exact same thing. Sparkling Water. That's straightforward. Yeah, that's it. You get what you pay for. I saw a, a billboard. There's one called like Aha. Now Ooh. have you seen that? Something like that. There's a lot of like But this one has caffeine in it now. They're kind of up in the ante. Oh. You know? What is this? It's naturally essenced. What does that even mean? Yeah. Any thoughts? No? Well, I'm, I imagine it's like, um, I think it bubbles up out of the earth like that. Mm-hmm. Like sparkly. Right. But I've never seen it. Have you ever seen it? You know, like imagine, so you go to the hot springs up at Glenwood Springs right. or Strawberry Springs is Steamboat, and it's like effervescent. Wouldn't that turn it up a notch? That would. You're like, ooh, tangerine tonight, all right. Yeah. Well, not the flavors, oh, but like, the flavor. like jets. Jets of sparkling water. Yeah. Speaking of uh, hot springs and geysers, remember when we went through Yellowstone? Yeah, Remember I do. that road trip after Lebsox ordination? Yeah, it we feels like down. you're in Mars. Yeah. Did you know that's the largest volcano in the world? Super volcano. It's a super volcano. Did we talk about this last time? Uh, I've been no. reading about volcanoes, man. It's crazy. You have? Why? If this thing blows, we're all freaking out about coronavirus. We're hey. due for a super volcano to blow up. It's been like 70,000 years. They yeah, blow like every 70,000. Is it? Every yeah. 70,000? That's what they say. But they're not predictable. 
They're not predictable. That's true. That kid, um, Cameron, up in Craig, uh-huh. he told me all about that. The volcano? That, this guy was afraid of things. Yeah. And Is this the server? Yeah, one of them. And he, uh, and, but he would watch shows like the eight most likely ways that we will all die. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, well, pandemic check. Yeah. And then <laughs> Super Volcano was one of them. And he explained this whole thing about Yellowstone. Yeah. The I, next- I mean, like, you think it's going to go? I don't. You're, now I, you're, you're becoming a volcano expert. I, I'm not. I, uh, I'm just faking it. I, uh, but it's interesting, you know? We just drive through. We're like, oh, cool, old faithful. We take a photo. Yay. Keep driving. And it's like, this thing yeah. is it's absolutely. It's like underground growling. Yeah, planning. it's crazy. Planning. Do you think they have mines? Mines under there? Like um, mines, like uh, like intelligence? Uh, probably not. Like stone intelligence? No, you're too. You're too creative for me. No, no, no. <laughs> Some people believe this stuff. Like mushroom networks are connected oh, intellectually, yeah. and well, as- that might aspen be. tree groves. And well, that's that's true, ants. isn't it? Aspen trees. That's actually an organism, right? Yeah, the largest. Oh, it is. It's kind of one of these things you just so they're lean all off they're of. all connected underground, and then the shoots just come up. It's wild. Yeah, I mean that's wild. What about all these bee colonies? Are you into bees? You know, Goebel's newest thing is he wants bees. Oh, he should. Well, he wants them because Nick Blaha, we were talking to him on the phone last week. And he's and got whatever bees. Blaha wants. Oh. Give it six months, you know. Well, does Blaha have the bees? Yeah, he was driving. We said, what are you doing? He said, I'm driving. I got 40,000 bees in the back of my pickup truck right now. We're like, yeah. that's a lot of bees. Blaha, he likes bulk. You in remember bulk. when he, he bought like a whole warehouse of beer to drink over the lake? That is true. Yeah. The pandemic. The dude's in the bulk. He's a he's a bulk shopper. <laughs> is Which there is like why he went for went for Goble, right? Is there like a um, bulk personality? Yeah, Costco of PetSmart, like Kirkland Kirkland bees. I'd like a whole gaggle of dogs, please. <laughs> yeah. Ah, so he wants to get bees. Here's the thing, Gobes. You is he an excitable guy? Goble. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah, he's an excitable guy. Yeah. So Nick Nicoletto, when I was taking care of bees and Craig, and um, he said he told me, you got to be emotionless. Show no emotion. Don't get happy. Don't get sad. Don't get excited. No emotions. Don't get scared. No emotions. Or they're going to swarm. That's the thing you're trying to avoid, the swarm. They can feel your emotions. Yeah. Well, I think they. I, it's either they panic or they're trying to intimidate you. You're not welcome anymore. Right. But they get all up in a tizzy, and then they all fly together, and then attack. And I don't, you don't want that with bees. I, I don't think anybody That's wants like that. I don't fear. think, I don't think Goble should get bees. But Nick Nicoletta could just walk in there. He didn't wear the mask. He didn't Ooh. wear the suit. He didn't even wear gloves. He would just what? throw his hand in no. there. He was so cool, man. Oh man, totally cool. Cool hand, Luke. I mean, that intimidated me. But did you hear about these killer hornets? Uh, yeah. What's the name of them again? Monster hornet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't, I forget. There is some, some like death right. hornet or something. This is the next thing. Other than the volcano, this is going to wipe out. Yeah, but Western maybe if he gets bees, he's asking for the weird hornets. Because they come and they take over the hive. Uh, yeah, and they eat the bees or something. Eat the bees. I they, mean, it was fine for me. I was just like, okay, that's, you know, circle of life until the size of these things was described to me. Uh, and they're like monsters, they're yeah, like little hummingbirds. You know, hornets. We live in a dangerous world. I guess bees do too. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I'm surprised you're not uh, haven't experimented with uh, bees though, because you 
You know, you're kind of a renaissance man like uh, Nick Blaha. You don't buy things in bulk as much as Nick. But, no, uh, you know what? My, my my property is not my own. There were bees at the community garden, mm. but I gave up my plot. You did. I'm moving downtown. Uh, I can't yeah. take care of it anymore. Moving downtown. That was hard. Green, that was hard for me to let go. Not as much green down there. Yeah. Did you hand it over to anybody? No, I just gave it back to the community so they can, they can give actually, it to somebody. Yeah. You yeah, know. I didn't. I would have had to fish around, call everybody I know. Hey, do you want to? You know, right? And then people get their hopes up, but aren't really committed. This is the one in the park next to Lords. Yeah, Harvard Gulch. Maybe you start a community garden downtown. Oh, I think they're there. Yeah, I love it, but I can't bring bees. Our house is too. Yeah, like central. That probably and, won't work at the cathedral. And then the neighbors. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, it's private property is an important thing in America, freedom and everything. Right. But when you bring bees to town, yeah, some people really get scared of bees. And some people are allergic, right? Yeah. I can't see that going well in the backyard of the companion's house. But, no. No. You know. Then they're not going to let me do that. No, You think not. Joseph Lajoie is going to, Father Joseph is going to let me do that? Probably not. Bees? He might be interested, though. Are you allergic to anything? Uh... Are you thinking about bees and all this? I, I don't think so. No, food, bees. No, nah, not that I can think of. People. Probably some people. Probably some people. Yeah. Dust. Yeah. You? I think heights. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never really been allergic to anything, I don't think. I don't Maybe know. Peach Prairie LaCroix. That was terrible. Yeah. So you know Americans what? say there LaCroix. Is, you know that? There are That's things the same that brand. I don't like. You know. What? You say LaCroix. Oh, LaCroix. You know, just LaCroix. That's the kind of. Yeah, but there's an X. As long as you're gonna, as long as you're La gonna Crocs. Yeah, if you're gonna go for the Croics, <laughs> the Croics. Yeah. Uh, can I get back to the volcanoes? Yeah, back to the volcanoes. So, um, I just celebrated my tenth anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I um, went to Mexico right after my ordination, you know, with Father Matt Brook, and we consecrated our priesthood to Our Lady of Guadalupe. It was fantastic. Traveled around Mexico a little bit. Went to the hometown of G-Love, Father Jeronimo Gonzalez, <laughs> and uh, it was a great trip. And now coming up at 10, I'm like, how do I celebrate this? And um, I got it in my head. Climb Pico de Orizaba. Oh. What do you think? Are you in? Uh, I would do it. We got to climb Pico de Orizaba. It's the second highest in North America. Yeah, it's serious. Do you know about this volcano? Yep. I wanted to do it at one point. Uh, Mike Zizda has done it. Oh yeah, yep. And uh, what do you do it? Boardman again? family, mom, dad, and son Eli. They all did it together. They're Boulder people, though. They're amazing. Yeah. They, they just know, they're, they're just mountain like, goats, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's way up there. What is the summit? Nineteen? I don't know. Nineteen thousand, I think, something like that. You can do it Pico in three, you can do it in three days, right? Yeah, I think it's a long slog on a glacier, but it sounds pretty amazing. Come so, on, dude. All right, so that's the 10th anniversary Come trip. Come on, dude, and you can do it. I don't think you're going to get Matt Book up that thing, though. Right. That's the thing. That's why I'm telling you. Because ah, okay. you're into volcanoes yeah. and you're into climbing glaciers. Everything is coming together right now. What do you think about glaciers on volcanoes? Aren't they supposed to be warm? Well, Rainier wasn't. Rainier that's has 50. That's a volcano, 50, too? It's a volcano. Ah. Rainier has... And they say when Yellowstone blows, it's going to be like 300 million times the size of Mount St. Helens, which we don't remember because we were too young. Yeah. No, that's one of those things is like uh, the earth is starting over. Right. You know, everything's dead. Oh, Elon yeah. Musk, you better get us to Mars get before to Mars. that because that get Yellowstone that, is about to go. Get that uh, super truck in order and get us to Mars. Yeah. The uh, 
Yeah, they talk about like Mount St. Helens was this tiny compared to what Yellowstone's going to blow, or probably Pico de Orizaba would be. But like we would go to um, down to Pompeii, you know, it yeah. was kind of a regular spot. And you got what? I mean, half a million people living right around that volcano. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, so. and I think it still smokes a little bit on top, but it's otherwise it's not, it's not predicted to go. Right. The scary thing was that these volcanologists. Do you know that's a job? Oh, boy. That sounds Star Trek, dude. I know. Volcanologists. So they uh, they really don't know what the hell's going on well, under the earth. Well, what kind of job is that? Sounds like meteorology in Colorado. Right. Except in the earth. But they really don't. I don't think they have much of a sense of what's going on. I don't think they can. It's just kind of like, well, it's smoking more. Yeah, right. Well, we put the te- we put The, uh, the temperature is really the temperature. hot. It's uh, it's it's actually really hot again. Yeah. It's getting hotter, so it's probably bad. Melted the thermometer. Right. Okay, we're in trouble or, or not? Yeah. So maybe you become a volcanologist if you don't want to get into bees. Could you? You know what? I'd like to see a picture of if you could do like a an X-ray of the Earth, so you could actually see the spread of that magma under the Yellowstone super volcano. It's like a cocktail glass, so it it kind of comes down all the way, way, way down. You know, crazy amount. And then opens up again to like and a reservoir? At the top. That's why you get, you know, 50 miles of Yellowstone because it's yeah. all the geysers and everything is kind of coming out. It, the whole it's thing. It's all one. It's all one huge super volcano. And it's just bubbling at the top like a cauldron. Yep. Oh. It's crazy, huh? Well, I'm glad I saw it. <laughs> Are we talking about the apocalypse tonight? Because this has been a very apocalyptic podcast oh. thus far. Uh, we're going to talk about judgment. Got a lot of notes. You're you're getting uh, you're doing a lot of note taking and preparation. I'm impressed. Or well, you just bring you the same what? papers every weekend. No, okay. So here's the thing. This this dovetails with two of my other projects. One is I've been praying through the Psalms and trying to do that like intentionally. And the hard thing for me is this is this is just my mind. Is I'll start like a a prayer goal or something. And then I'll get into it, and if it's scripture related, then I start studying. Uh. So I'm in the I'm in the chapel, but really I'm studying. I might as well be at my desk, you know, because it. Then I'm thinking, oh wait a bit, what is that word in Greek or Hebrew? Or wow, look at that expression. I think I saw that in another psalm. Now this stuff can be helpful because it can set you up for good prayer. Right. But in itself, it's not praying. Hmm. So that's the pro. You know, okay, so that's a project. Yeah. So then I. I yeah, so the other piece is I'm going to be teaching the um, Psalms for diaconate spirituality, a course to the uh, the deacon candidates next year. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I should revisit the Psalms, start trying to figure out what it means to pray the Psalms, use the Psalms for preaching, all of these, all these, just engage the Psalms, right? So then I uh, started noticing things and kind of, you find your interests. I think the key with the Psalms is if you're going to pray the Psalms, you have to look for images that really uh, interest you, mm. you know, because it's 150. And there's a lot of repetition and there's a lot of like stuff I don't identify with right now. I don't know. You ever prayed the Psalms? Uh, I have prayed them a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're required Maybe to Maybe not necessarily well, but that's the thing. Every it's like day. We have to pray them every day. We get to pray them every day, as Goble would correct me if he was here. Five times a day. And, uh, yeah, sometimes it's it's you're there and it's present. But it would it'd be nice to just have a nice, solid working study com- semester on it. 
And then the other question is, you'll probably get to this, but for the lay person who's not praying the liturgy hours every day, five times a day, what does the Psalms look like for them? You know, yeah, how do they life. access them? Yeah, and I think the other the other kind of like limitation is that we use them liturgically, but they're just kind of filler. Right. Haven't you seen that? Right. Like, you know, if you ask, hey, you know, what what was the last, you know, what's a psalm that you pray at Mass? And then right. maybe people are, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. <laughs> exactly. But that might be all they know, right? Because yeah. everybody preaches on the gospel or the first reading or second reading are much more, like, filled out and interesting and I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but that's my impression. Psalm reading. I, I forget who it was who was telling us. Maybe it was the Frakers when they lived in Boston, but there was it was like a daily mass or something. And this like thick, this Boston woman gets up and gives the response reading. Goes, if today you hear his voice, hot not your hearts, <laughs> and then just boom, fires through it. <laughs> response: If today you hear his voice, hot not your hearts, and this is like. <laughs> so these are the things that get stuck into our our heads. Yeah, you know? I think. I mean. They do pick out the like the best line, and then that's the refrain for the right. you know the responsory. So anyway, when you read the fathers, though, I mean it's like the psalms are everywhere. They're just constantly, you know, yeah, floating throughout their their writings, and it's it's amazing kind of their the use and the way they tie it into all different aspects of the scriptures. So I yeah, remember and the monks, monks the monks yeah. are just praying those psalms all the time, and they are masters with all the tools of imagery in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And it shows you too, like there's a there's some serious payoff. If you engage with the Psalms, if you pray the Psalms, there's a lot of payoff. But there is some like intense stuff too, you know. Whack the heads of my enemies and the wicked and the babies have their bones broken and yeah. oh, oh hey. Yeah. Yeah, there's some intense stuff. I uh, always think of when we were writing, you know, um the voice of Tom Margavish is quoting the what what psalm is it about the dashing the the babies? Yeah, that's one thirty nine at the end. One thirty nine and one thirty nine is fantastic yeah, about how God knows you so well and everything, right. and then it takes that weird turn. dark turn. The uh, but the 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 thing I always remember is because he he would say you got to kill your babies, and what he meant by that was that little sentence that you wrote, and you're like oh, or that paragraph, and it's like you got to kill oh, it. Oh yeah, you got to kill it. You got to kill. Your yeah, babies, that's so. famous for writers. Yeah, it's hard, but yeah, you got it because you got to chop stuff down. You got to chop stuff down, and everything's so valuable, right? You know, you just think, yeah. "Oh, I created this," you know. So it's so beautiful. One thirty-nine, yeah, that's an intense one, but lots of good ones. Yeah. yeah so I think okay, first step. This isn't actually the topic, but um, it's related. So Psalms, you're praying them. First step, if you want to get serious, you read through them you figure out which ones hit you the most. So you say to people, just start reading through the Psalms. I think Start so. at Psalm, Psalm 1 and just boom. Well, that's what my, my dad was telling me recently. He's reading through the Bible, and I don't know where he came up with this project, but it's cool. So he was going through the Psalms, and he was telling me some of his like input, and he actually found it kind of hard to, hard to read through them, hard to pray them. And I think at first, first blush, you have to kind of distill some stuff. You know, find out what which ones really stand out. So if you're going through the first 42, the first book, first 41 Psalms, there's only going to be like a handful that stand out to you. Psalm 1, the tree planted by running streams for those who meditate on the law of God day and night. That's a beautiful image, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Psalm 23, 
The Lord Classic. is my shepherd. So it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. You know, that's one that everybody knows, right? Uh, psalm 24, um, who is the king of glory? The Lord is the king of glory. Go up into the temple, all these images. So part of it is just like pick, find some favorites. You know, if you have a handful of favorites, I don't know if you have a handful of favorites. Yeah. I'm terrible with numbers and memorization. Oh, okay. I just cannot. But 23. Um, 51. 51 is a, good... is a classic. We pray that every Friday. What's it, what is it? 133? Is that our, how yeah. good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity? That's it. Yeah. All right. Psalm 1. Yeah. Psalm 131. As a child has rest in its mother's arms, so I rest in you. Psalm 139. Lord, you search me and you know me. Um, there's all these, yeah, particular psalms. Shortest one? Nope. 117. 117. Yeah. Okay. Um, praise the Lord, all you peoples. Acclaim him, all you nations. For strong is his love for us. He is faithful forever. It's embarrassing awesome. that That's I've, been, the whole thing. I've been praying the psalms every day for 15, 17 years, and I uh, can't name numbers. I never look at the numbers. You just kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find out. But you're so saying people here, just another jump Another thing is, okay, you could read through, or you could just start paying attention at Mass. Jot down, ooh, I like that one. Oh, that one struck me. And then you got to look in your missile or find out, like, what was that, and, and then start chewing on it. You know, pray that. Keep it present. Put that picture on your wall so you see it sometimes, you know? Not literally, but you get it. What genre would you describe the Psalms as being? Poetry? Poetry. Hymnody? Poetry. Well, wait, that would, yeah. Are they the same? I'd say the same. Yeah. I mean, they're intentionally written t- to be put to music, but that's different than like yeah, song, song, master class songwriting with Lady Gaga or whatever. Right. You know, this is a whole different kind of um, singing. Set to strings and chant. Set the lyre? Yeah, to the lyre. And maybe a lute. Lute's like, like a, a flute. Flute? Um, but it basically just chant. Right. Okay. So I don't know what genre. Psalms. Psalms. They're, they're, they're Psalms. their own thing. Oh, you're teaching that. I'm just, you know, thinking about right. questions you might get from So th- that's what I recommend is you find a handful that you like. All right. Um, the next stage, or you can work with that one, is as you become more familiar, that's like you and I. We use it all the time, but we're not really paying attention. Find an image that you like and pray with that, you know. Um, you, it, I mean, it could be anything. It could be like the. The lonely pelican in the desert, so my soul cries out for you, right? Or deep uh, deep uh, flows upon deep in the roaring of the waves. Like, what does that mean? Like, what could that mean for me? Whatever. You know? What does it even mean? What does it even mean? What, who's that, Carrie? No, that was the uh, rainbow, double rainbow guy. You remember that viral video? No. The guy was tripping on something, and he just sees a double <laughs> rainbow. What does it even mean? It? He's crying. Oh. All right. So one of the things that I ran into that I thought, yeah, this is intriguing to me, is that a number of the Psalms talk about um, God's face shining on things, or like to be in the presence of God's face. All right. I remember at one point we got this devotion of, the face of Jesus, the miraculous face of Jesus. And it, although it was your favorite, no. we had to give it away. Right. You remember that thing? Yeah, that was the ultimate re-gift from that <laughs> Jesuit rogue, Ronnie O'Dwyer. <laughs> it had like weird green venom Christ- coming from the... Christos de los Limpias, what was yeah, it? Yeah, it's something like that. Oh my God, it was the weirdest looking thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Who'd we give that to? Um, Brady Wagner. Probably. I think he, he actually it. liked it. He loved it, man. Oh, man. That guy's crazy. All right. So the Psalms talk about the face of God. And I wanted to know, okay, like, what is it, what do they say about the face of God? And for a couple of a couple of primary reasons. One is that Christians say, or at least in Christian theology, um, that the goal of all of human life is, like, what is heaven? Heaven? Happiness? Salvation? Vision? Yes, a beatific vision. Okay. Right? Yep. To gaze upon the face of God. Okay. And John's um, John's letter talks about we don't know what we're like what we are right now um, is only a foretaste of what's to come. But what we shall become, we shall see the face of God, and we shall become like Him, right? And that's been the classic image for theology for a long time, right? That the goal, ultimate goal, is beatific vision. Right? Isn't that right? That's right. That's the final thing. Yep. That's it for you, dogma guys. That's it. So. There's one, the one piece of like, okay, how do you define that theologically? And fine, whatever. And then there's like, how can you explore that poetically? And I don't know the definitions theologically very well. We got to ask Father Angel. We got we to ask Father John and all of these dogmatic theologians. Oh, John doesn't know anything. He's faking <laughs> <What>? it. <laughs> what is the beatific vision? It has something to do with like, our maximum potential like we'll be perfect in heaven but it's not like we'll be like are we golfing um the theologians say basically nothing else will matter so much as being in the presence of and contemplating god right but like what that is is like anybody's guess i think that the uh the thing to say that it's not is it's not like a it's not a drive-in movie theater where he's just like, you know, oh, right there is the screen. It's like, whoa. What even is it? What? It's so beautiful. Uh, what does it even mean? That's not really what the beatific vision is, is going to be like. I think that vision has to be located in the in the notion of union. I was preaching about this on Sunday. I was like, heaven is a person. Heaven is the person of Jesus, right? Yeah, well, yeah, tell me more because this is where John was says we shall be like him for we we shall see him as, as he, he is, is. Yeah. and be like him. Well, how do those go together? So I think it's, when I think of the beatific vision, I think of seeing God in Christ. It's not just us lined up. Here's your popcorn. Goebbels got a cherry Coke. Everybody's yeah. just kind of like, whoa, you know, this is just That's crazy. There, there he is. is. But we're, it's, it's, we're dwelling in him in participation through grace and so, yeah, faith and vision, faith, one of the definitions of faith is the absence of beatific vision in this life. Christ being the only one who had the beatific vision. How he had that in his humanity, that's a tricky question, you know. But in so his, in his you, divinity, are Christ— you the, Are you the kind—I guess I've heard of it two different ways, and I'm, I'm on thin ice here because I don't know, like, if there's, you know, potential heresy or, like, official doctrine here. You could say— Beatific vision is gazing upon God. Right. Or you could say beatific vision is being infused with the divine life so that we see as God sees. Right. So you're seeing uh, you're seeing things or you're seeing the world or the the story of God, the the logos or somehow you're see, you're not it's not the same thing as, you know, God is an object of sight outside, right. but rather like 
transforms your site. Yeah. Is that I think fair? that's how I understand it. Yep. By participation, by grace. You know, so we're not, so divinization means that we become like God by participating, not actually being in his essence, right? That's where you yeah. get in, that's where you get into trouble. But yeah, I, I like that's that's it. It's God is not an object we behold in the beatific vision, but because we enter into Christ, we see God as he is and we see as God sees. Yeah, and our that's vision the, that's, becomes beatific. And that's the that's the essence of heaven right there. That's the uh it's not so much about the, you know, the perfect nine-hole golf course that you get to I don't know. I always yeah. hit that sweet lob, lob wedge just over and over again, right into the hole or something. It's Although that's welcome. That would be sweet. Um, I was p- putting terribly the other day. Oh, yeah. Short uh, game's the first to go. Yeah. Well, okay. So, all right. So, yeah, there's there's this transformation. And, and I, I mean, I hope for that. You can see that in some of the saints. Like, they can sense. Their spiritual senses are awakened. So right. they can smell sanctity. And they can kind of read souls and they can and i don't that's not necessarily something to aspire to but there is like how can i see the beauty of the intention of the creator in the created things you know how you could go out and i guess not be on drugs but still look at a rainbow and say there's god right like there's god in that and even more privileged way is that you can encounter other people as like this person has the holy spirit in them this is a child of God. That should be something very profound to consider, to contemplate, to, to see, right? Like, this is something that we, we can get a taste for. We're not there yet, obviously. We're not in heaven. But um, the, the Christian life promises some share in, uh, like, a preview of what's coming. Right. right? Okay, so the, one of the ways that the, the Psalms talk about the uh, the face of God is that it becomes the 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 person who gazes upon the face of God say shine your face on me uh, becomes a, a mirror of God's radiance you know my and my own face shall radiate so there's like in Psalm 34 you get first an image of um, God show me your face and then uh, the psalmist proclaims that his own face is radiant um, toward the rest of the creation and to the rest of the world. So there's this kind of reflection that comes from being in the, in the presence of God, you know, or at least that's the hope of the psalmist, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of radiate, uh, radiant transformation. Okay. And this first happens with Moses. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's part of the image of Moses is that he goes up on the mountain, he beholds the glory of God and he comes down and he has to veil his face because it's so brilliant that the people can't like stand in the presence of the glory of God. And, um, and he, yeah, he becomes himself like a mirror of that radiance. Right. Um, but that the psalmist is saying, this is possible for everyone. You know, it happened to Moses and it doesn't have to come from like you go up a mountain and then you have this sort of, um, encounter, you know, um, but that it's possible for everyone. That's and, and the Psalms are really for everyone. Psalms are the prayer of Jesus and it, when we're incorporated into the body of Christ, it become our prayer, right? Okay, so this is like the hope of the blessing that um, Moses teaches to the priests. Do you remember that one from Numbers? Can we stop for one second? Question on that? Uh-huh. Good doctor, professor. Um, so what does a psalmist mean? Like, what does that mean? 
uh, in the Old Testament. We know what it means in Christ to look upon the face of God in the incarnation. We actually know the face of God in Jesus, and we understand how in grace, in Christ, in the fullness of the mediation of that incarnation, that we're able to take on the divine image, share in the divine glory. But what does that look like 500 years or 1,000 years before Christ? What? Yeah. What does that mean? Well, it's a good question, and it's hard to answer. So it's hard to answer because you have this problem of anthropomorphizing, right? It's There's an analogy whenever we talk about God. Um, God is spirit, and no one has ever seen him. Jesus has made him known. That's from John's prologue, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do if God is spirit and no one has seen him? Um, well, you can still, if you're trying to explore the effect of God's presence, you still you have to use analogous language, right, to talk about the presence of God. So sometimes they would talk about the glory of God present in the Shekinah, the glory mm-hmm. cloud in the temple. Um, God's glory being something kind of um, distinct from God himself or something like that. Um, when you talk about God's hand, his powerful hand, you know, strike down the enemy with your powerful right hand or uh, rule the nations with your right hand. It's, it's an analogy, right? Because God doesn't have a hand. Um, that was, that's the intriguing thing about the face. Some of the, some of the scholars speculate that this is, this in every case comes from analogy of the sun, you know, so shine, it shines its face on, the, on the world. Yeah, the sun, the sun okay. that uh, revolves around the earth or um, in the cosmology right, of the right. Old Testament. It comes up, goes down, it gives life, it gives light, um, all of these things that are, serve as a pretty good analogy for God, right? So then, and, and there is a face of the sun, right? We talk about it that way, that shines. Now, I don't think that in every case it's like that, though. But it might be an extension of those images. Those might be the earliest ways of, you know, talking about the face of God. Um, it is. There are instances where it's obvious that that's the kind of analogy it's mm-hmm. drawing. You know, bring light into the darkness. Shine your face on us, O Lord. These kinds of things. Um, but then it just kind of gets extended to the presence of God. Because how do you talk about it anyway? Right. Right? You need to you use analogy. You have to analogy. use analogy, yeah. Even a name is analogy, right? And it, yeah, and it, just as a side note, I don't want to take you off track here, but it's interesting how just the face as an anthropological image here is it's the descriptor of the person in some ways. One of the weirdest things I've ever experienced is saying mass with a bunch of people who have masks on. Oh yeah, man. Because it's it's so impersonal and so weird to stare out uh, and just see masks, eyeballs and masks. Uh, and you so you really can't connect without a face. Like a Yeah, it and it has it to be the whole thing. It doesn't work. There was that weird movie in the 90s Face Off, you remember that Nicolas Cage? <laughs> <laughs> I want to take they his traded, face. They traded faces. Off. Yeah. Oh, so man. it's it's a so there's something of the uniqueness of the face that I, I think they probably just reflecting on that anthropologically said this is a descriptor of the divine essence that God to encounter God as they're working out this what is this relationship we have with Him the image of the face is something of a kind of a vivid descriptor so yeah fullness of a person I totally feel that man there's been times when I'm not recognized. 
like people don't know that I'm coming yeah. and then that uh, you get close because you got that mask on uh-huh. and then they're like, Oh, yeah. Oh father. And there's been times when I'll be like interacting with people. And then I would expect that you could know them from their eyes, but I don't, I don't yeah. recognize them. Right. But then I hear their voice and I'm like, Oh, I know you. Right. And it's amazing how just like the nose and mouth and right. whatever cheeks or whatever. Facial hair. So, a lot of mustaches yes, it, these days. It is, um, yeah, it's, it's somehow the fullness of a person, right? right? So if you want to say, I want to be in your presence, they use uh, lifne. It's something like um, to be seen by you, be in front of you, like in front of your gaze. Okay, so the priest, Moses teaches the priest to bless the people, and he has them um, bless them this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So twice you're saying, if I can bless you with the best blessings I can give, I want you to be in front of the face of God. Mm-hmm. May he make his face shine upon you and may he turn his countenance to you. Right? So this is like from one of the highest ideals of the Old Testament as well. This is the hope that everyone should have for um, another, like a religious person, that they would be in the in the presence of the face of God, stand before the face of God. And the power of this is what is elaborated in the various Psalms, or at least this is how I organize it. Um, so I see it as like there's, there's answers to prayers of supplication. God, I need help. I'm going to pray to you. Turn your face to me is like, hey, uh, pay attention. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, look. And there's even there's even lines that are really cool that are like, hey, why are you sleeping? Wake up and show me your face. Like, hey, I need you right now. Okay, I'm talking to you. And often those uh, instances where the psalmist is saying, um, I, show your face to us, it has something to do with um, judgment. Okay, so there's problems here. And we need you to wake up. We need you to to look upon our problems so that you can answer them. It's like a father. If you see the problem, then you're going to have to react because Mm -hmm. a good father uh, can't handle seeing a problem without reacting, doing something, intervening. And this is one one of those areas, this judgment. It's God separating the wicked from the righteous, the, the, um, the pure from the impure. Uh, that my my dad was telling me, oh, I don't get it. Like, why is he always like judging and condemning the wicked or, um, I don't know, destroying? The psalmist says, hey, destroy. And it just seems like, well, who are you supposed to, like, what is this? Who who are the bad people? You ever met a bad person? Um, yeah, I, I think so, but I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Things yeah. are mixed. Yeah. They're mixed. Yeah. So, I think it's not about, and this this comes down to judgment for the Christian too. It's not so much about like who's bad and how do you get rid of them, and then everything's perfect. It's like there are problems that we can't solve. There are systemic problems that are a result of the fall that become so bad or become so personal, get so close to us that we have to say, God, you solve this. Like we can't do that, but we know that you can. So pay attention, mm-hmm. get your eyes on this stuff. And one of the powers that the Christian has is to intercede for people, right? Is to say, hey, this is where we need help. 
And that can be, I think there are situations if you really stop and think about it, if you, if you put yourself in, a, in an intercessory role, there are situations where you say, hey, God, you have to fix this, you know, sex trafficking around the world. Can I fix that? No. Could you figure out a policy to say, politicians, you fix this? No. This is a problem of corruption of the human heart. And you know, in a way that's so deep and com- complicated and messy that there is very little hope to say, okay, we can just figure out how to fix that, right? Right. The problem of abortion, right. you know, it's this isn't simple. It's not just, okay, you put up a law and then it's fixed. A law helps to teach people, to limit it, to um, point to the value of life and then to, to stop a lot of it. Um, but then you have other complications, you know, and that's why the issue is complicated in America. What do we do with the mothers? What do we do with rape? What do we do with all these associated problems? And this is where we say, okay, God, we need you. Pay attention to this. You know, there are people who are dying. There's innocent life being lost. You got people in Africa, you hear these stories, you see these uh, movies and documentaries about how kids get kidnapped and they get drugged and they get taught how to kill and they get, um, you know, have violence sort of inflicted on them. And then they're subject to that the rest of their life. They become warlords. How is that just? And how do we fix it? We can't. I can't. But I can go in, in into the chapel and I can say, God, you need to fix this. And we can call upon his attention. Wake up. What are you doing? It's not that God doesn't care. Right. But somehow we are, part of our mission is to say, hey, you know, God, you care about us and I, I want to see this changed, you know? And I think that leads to the, the huge question, you know, surrounding that, which is well, why is his face not turned towards African warlords already, you know? Sure. Why is it not towards the pandemic? Um, but I think this is part of why they... This analogy is is cogent for for the for the Israelites for the psalmist um, because yes you can think of God as um, omniscient omnipresent and all of these categories but you can run into this problem right and then you say what does my restless soul do because it, 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 there is a paradox and there's not really easy answers you can say okay this is part of the freedom of hu- humanity and we make mistakes and God is like trying to save us but this is part of our salvation is to be the voice of christ in the world and to say father turn your face to this issue yeah you know and i wonder sometimes if the psalms are helpful for us because they teach us how to pray a bit more desperately um a bit more honestly without and surrendering our expectations i will pray for this person on the condition that they are cured from their cancer or on this or this i'm praying petitionary prayers but if they don't happen god has not turned his face towards me but there's something just deeply human about the act itself is transformative by praying and entrusting and surrendering the things of our life that we feel like we're losing and the psalms do that confidence it builds trust right i mean the psalms don't say if you pray this psalm god will make you healthy wealthy and everything you ever want will happen. Like that's just, but it's, it's the cry from the heart of what do you do in the midst of the full plethora of human experience and emotions and all these things. And yeah. And it presents us with the challenge. That's the cool thing that I thought of when 
considering my dad's problem with this thing. He says, I have no enemies. Who do I want God to smite? This isn't my prayer. And I say, well, yeah, but you're praying on behalf of other people. And this prayer reminds you, hey, look, prayer isn't about you. Mm -hmm. Prayer is a service. It's honoring God and it's helping people, right? It is, yes, it's for us. And we'll get to those categories. And that's a big part of our life in praying Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, We pray the Psalms five times a day. It's not just our little private practice, but it's about this is the voice of the bride, as mm-hmm. the church tells us. This is the, and so we're speaking on behalf of it's the bride all over the world, speaking back to the bridegroom, and oftentimes entering into emotions, experiences that are foreign to us right now. But somebody is in in the mystical body of Christ. We're sharing in that. Yeah, there's people suffering these things, and we can be a voice for them. Okay, so it can be intercession. Sometimes it's related to judgment. That's like separating the wickedness from the goodness. Um, They can be healing and about restoration. So there's times when you say, Lord, shine your face on me. And it's like the warmth of, if you take the sun analogy, the warmth of the sun that that cures. It's it's that healing balm. It's that refreshment that comes from um, something reviving, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the Psalm 42 that says, like a deer who longs for running water, so my soul. And is, is, it has this thing about going into the temple and then um, the Lord healing the downcast soul. Shine your face on me and my soul will be healed. You know? um, so healing, there's healing to be found in, in front of the face of God. Sometimes it's used for uh, thanksgiving and praise. Um, it describes something of blessing, that God has blessed the righteous person. God has blessed this one who praises God in in the temple. Um, God hid his face, and I was dismayed, and then he returns to me, and now I'm filled with blessing and praise and thanksgiving. You know? So it's associated with healing. It's associated with thanksgiving and praise. And I think in every case, um, there's there's a sense of this... Um, mirror of radiance that having been in the presence of God in the, in front of the face of God, having um, become aware of the needs of the world and the value of God's judgment, calling out for his judgment, we can reflect that. Okay. I want to go and do something better. I want to go to tr- mm-hmm. try to change what I can, you know, try to make the world better to um, call out the problems and to do what I can. We can experience the healing ourselves and, um, and enjoy that, you know, healing from the past, healing from memories, uh, physical healing, all these kinds of ways that God can fill us uh, with his grace. And then thanksgiving and praise, which is the, the goal of the Christian life, is to, to live our lives in this mode of thanksgiving and reception, right? So I, I'll just end by, by um, recommending that when we get a chance— you get back into the adoration chapel because you can, as a Catholic, gaze upon the face of God. Hmm. This is as close as you can get. You know, you were saying, how can we do it without Jesus? Well, we get Jesus. And that's the joy of the, of the gospel, really, that God has become a human being so that we can gaze upon the face of God. And the fathers of the church are going to look at this stuff and say, things were incomplete. But the psalmist was prophetic, Mm -hmm. saying, I wish I could gaze upon the face of God. And then God comes to us. Mm -hmm. And and Jesus says, the prophets longed to see what you see. Now here it is. 
and that's possible for Catholics. So you go and and you can put yourself in front of uh, the Lamb of God, and then receive these things. You know, put put yourself in a mode of intercession. I pray for Lord. Tell me who it is that you want me to pray for. You know, open my eyes to the to the tragedy that's bigger than myself or beyond myself. Um, Lord, give me that great gratitude for the things around me so that I walk around and I'm just filled with gratitude. Like, man, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this, but this is awesome. And I've been blessed with this. And thank you for blessing these other people. And then that healing, that reception of grace, you know, that, mm. that fullness that can come. Um, it won't be complete. It's, we're not like fully, um, we're not perfect until heaven. But um, yeah, that's my, that's my uh, pep talk is run to the Eucharist. I love it. And I would just add to the Eucharist because um, you are love our lady. Matthias Shaban talks about Mary as the mirror of God. That's one of the names he oh, talks yeah. about her in his Mariology. Mary is the mirror of God. So we have to rebuild the church. And I think that we're not going to do it with committee meetings and more protocol. We're going to do it with love of the Eucharist and love of Mary, which are the two things that Protestants find just crazy, but they're the heart of the church because the church is the Eucharist and Mary is the archetype of the church. She's the one who perfectly mirrors God in humanity, in created humanity as a created person. And uh, you think of Mary praying the Psalms. She is, in, again, in creation, as a created person, she is the face of, of God, created because she's fully graced. And that's why we love her and reverence her. We don't worship her. But that's the power of grace going full circle back to heaven. Mm-hmm. It's just that Mary mirrors the face of God so perfectly, not because she has the face, but because of that mirror. And if we want to contribute to a world that's uh, you know under pandemic and all kinds of problems with super volcanoes and you know hornets the size of hornets. hummingbirds that are going to destroy everything the best thing we can do start to radiate the face of god yeah and and it begins with uh, uh entering into the song and the hymn of the bride and the bridegroom of the eschatological nuptials which is the psalms so yeah that's how you yeah mary is that one that the one who is contemplative the one who receives the grace he, Jesus goes goes back to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. And she pondered all these things in her heart. And I wonder if that means like, okay, everything you just heard about, like when he was a kid and like getting lost in the temple, or if that means Jesus was obedient to them, and she pondered all of those acts of obedience and mm. every point of his life, uh, pondered them in her heart. Uh, that's the the stance of the psalmist, right? Um, filling out our prayer. It takes patience. But it's, uh, there's a big payoff to be in the presence of God. There you go. Nice. What are you going to call this one? Something boring, probably. You're I haven't right. been very creative. L- don't, don't, be too, La Croix. don't be too creative, as we saw a couple weeks ago with the titles. La Croix. La Croix. That was... Very nice. Was it Naive? Naive? No, the, I don't the think podcast? it was Naive. No. His, his title. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it I was. I think it was Naive. Just in terms of like how foolish can you be? I think we're kind of naive. <laughs> <laughs> Celibate naivete is real. So, Alora. Well, so, um, got any shout, shout out to this guy, Ryan, that I uh, I met today. The guy was in a, a Hindu monastery for a few years. He's a real explorer. Um, his wife is a fan of the podcast and has been recommending it to him he's a recent convert to catholicism and 
full of uh, joy and ambition for figuring out how to be a Catholic. Nice. I have no shout outs. I just have uh, tell Mike a funny story. You know, I love watching my nephews because it's it's like watching brothers grow up and seeing basically like if these guys become companions, it's going to be the exact same thing 30 years from now. And I was thinking of always the middle child, Micah, who's, who's the, lo- the lover in the family. But we asked him recently, um, this might be more global than you, but we said, what do you like more, cake or ice cream? And he said, which one is longer? And I was like, <laughs> that is just classic middle child. Just like, I got to scrap for what I get because the other which brothers are taking like everything from me. So which one is longer? So. Shout out to my nephews. They're the great joy of dude, our life. And my nieces Micah, are a long ways away, so I don't see them as go much. Go for the but, savories, uh, dude. Don't waste your time. Convert them to the savory. Yep. And to them, I'm sorry that Gobel almost cracked his skull uh, during WrestleMania, which these things happen. They're growing up fast. so. Yeah, well, tell them to be careful. Well, soon enough, you'll have WrestleMania with your, you know. Oh, man. We just baptized Joshua Francis. He's my godson. Nice. Uh, fantastic little guy. Looks like a little Buddha. A little Buddha. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Kelsey, the godmother, to Tommy, who was my proxy stand-in, to Rose and Isaac, Joshua Francis's uh, parents, and then to uh, Maximilian, his older, older brother, brother, who has got way too much energy. Just wait. Just wait till those boys get older. Okay. Well done. Thanks, Mikey. Okay. God bless you, everybody. I think, May the uh, Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. Amen. Sorry, you were going to say uh, something. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Go into it the was blessing. Good. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.